After weeks of speculation, State Senator Scott Sifton has bowed out of the race for Missouri Attorney General, and his decision will have statewide and South St. Louis County impact. The senator joins us to talk about his big decision on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, you no, know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello, and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is fellow reporter... Joe Manis. And a man who seemed very bewildered and amused by our theme music. (laughs) State Senator Scott Sifton. Um, Congratulations on becoming part of the three-time Politically Speaking Club. I'm sure these were the exact circumstances that you were wanting them to be. (laughs) uh, It is my honor and delight to be here for a third time. I am now... Now in uh, uh, outstanding company as a three-time guest of the show. Well, you're not quite in John Deal yeah, territory, which is but, but that, that, that's probably a good <laughs> no that, com- no that comment. That may be separate. <laughs> so we want to just get right into it. The, the, there was a lot of crazy things that have happened in Missouri politics, and in the last you, week. And I think your news was probably not even ranked in the top four, but maybe number four, tied well, I'll, for third. I'll try not to take well, that in a way other than it it's intended. Hot. Initially, oh, full disclosure to listeners. Uh, Scott Sifton and I go to the same church. That's right. Yes. I, I, I'm just, I want to be just honest about that. Uh, yes. I think disclosure is important. Um, just for our listeners and those who haven't paid attention to the machinations of the of the attorney general's race, uh, our guest was an announced candidate for attorney general. He came on our show in December to talk about it. Uh, last week, after some some speculation, rumors, machinations, behind the scenes wrangling, whatever you want to say, uh uh, Senator Sifton announced he was not going to run for attorney general anymore and instead run for re-election in the first senatorial district. So the big question a lot of Missouri politicos want to know is what made you drop out of the attorney general's race? Well, Jason, it goes to the article I think that you ran this morning talking about uh, the old Senate and concern about the future of where our state Senate is headed. Um, I came to the conclusion after giving it careful thought that I could have the biggest impact by returning to the state Senate for four years, uh, for another four years, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, And, you know, looking ahead, I think that is an institution that plays a critical role in the development of policy in our state. And it is really going to matter who we have in that chamber from 2017 to 2020. And uh, upon giving it very careful thought, I decided that the best that I could do to make a difference for the community that I represent, for my constituency and the people of the state of Missouri, was to return to the state Senate if the voters would be so kind as to support my effort to do so. Now, the last couple of years, you have been one of the more prominent filibusterers in the state Senate on some key issues, in other words, especially during um, either a veto session or near the end of the regular session. I and mean, you've been kind of one of the leaders of, let's the the Democratic blockers, so to speak, who are trying to block certain pieces of Republican legislation. Were were there some people who were asking you to keep on that role? I mean, that's a role that maybe Joan Bray used to have a few years ago when she was in the Senate. Well, to be clear, um, if you look at the history of when I have stood up and talked and engaged on debates uh, and what has actually been modified as opposed to killed, I think what you'll see, Joe, is that um, uh, myself, uh, along with other members of the minority, and at times uh, several members of the majority, 
will use the power of debating a bill, which is our true power in the Senate. If it, you know, if it comes to a vote very, I mean, maybe once a year do we have a vote that actually fails. Uh, but um, the, the power in, in debating is not always, and maybe even not often, in stopping legislation altogether, but in modifying it and shaping it to make it to make it to where we can get to a place where we can sit down and agree to vote no and be outvoted. And, and that's important. That's important. There are a number of issues that are contentious uh, that, that come up in the Senate and through the debate process. And again, just as frequently, there are members of the majority uh, working to slow legislation down as members of the minority. But through that debate process, we get better legislation that better addresses the concerns of all parties. Well, to be more specific, I had heard I mean, there have been a lot of rumors around this race, but I heard specifically like some key interest groups like the Missouri Bar and the Missouri Association of Trial Attorneys really did not want you to run for attorney general anymore because they wanted to keep you in the Senate. Is that an accurate rumor? Well, I'll say that you'd have to ask them. Uh, to be very clear, this is a decision I made myself uh, alone uh, in isolation of considerations from from others. I mean, I, I this was my call. And you know, to the extent that there may have been some uh, who really wanted to see me run or really didn't want to see me run, uh, rest assured, I would have been hearing from all points of view throughout this process. Uh, but I have at all stages made the decision that I thought uh, I needed to make for my constituency and for the state of Missouri. Yeah, I mean, because one of the general contentions was that there was democratic fear and fear among the trial lawyers and some of the other groups that you had probably the best and they thought maybe only shot at retaining the first district uh, for the Democrats. And of course, the Democrats have historically low numbers in the Senate right now. And you had won that seat just uh, narrowly uh, by knocking off incumbent um, Senator Jim, Jim Lemke. Lemke. Yeah. And, and he was Republican. So I guess my question is, I know that you... There is a lot of pressure for you to stay in the Senate, but was it cast as something that you needed to do for the party or you needed to do for the government or, if, I mean, to for good government? I mean, was, was there a lot of different angles of people who were talking to you about this? Well, I, I wanted to go where I felt that I could have the most impact. And at this point, it became clear to me that that was in the Senate. I, I, I'm concerned that if, if, frankly, if I'm not back, that... Um, the the checks and balances are not going to be what they could be. Uh, a lot depends on having an effective minority, and that's not just good for members of the minority. That's good for everybody. Again, you get better legislation as a result of the checks and balances of the process, and that's something that goes back to what our founding fathers felt was very important about how you set this thing up in the first place. But I, I do want to address um, uh, the concern about the you know what happens at the seat uh, if I'm not in it. Um, Vicki England was well positioned to run for that seat. I have known Vicki for many years. We are close personal friends. We have been long before either of us began running for the legislature. We've been working together for not quite 15 years uh, when I was a school board member and she was with St. Louis County Economic Development. Uh, so I've known Vicki a long time. Uh, she, is, um, she is somebody who is not going to be outworked uh, to try to make a difference in the community. She works incredibly hard. She has to. Uh, to, to have held the seat that she has held in the House uh, and, and to run successfully in the Lindbergh School District, which is a very 
large school district where she's been elected to the school board twice. So uh, I think that uh, I think that Vicki will make uh, a great member of the Senate when the time is right. Uh, I just felt that um, the right thing for me to do in 2016 was to run for well, a Well, that was going to be my next question because there obviously is a statewide impact, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but your decision effectively blocks her ability to advance because I don't think she's going to run against you in a primary did that go into your thought process that you're basically short circuiting somebody's political advancement of somebody that you respect and are friends with? Uh, Vicki and I are very close. And what I would say is that there is, um, yeah, we're good. We're good. Uh, she has enthusiasm to return to the House. Uh, that is a seat that the last two presidential cycles she has won. I expect that she will win it again. Uh, and I believe that she has a very bright future in in public service in South County. She continues to serve on the Board of Education, which by the way, she's on the board for what has now been ranked, I believe, four years in a row as the number one school district out of 525 in the state of Missouri in terms of academic performance. Uh, and she's part of that success. So I, you know, she's going to have future opportunities and I just look forward to seeing it happen. How much pressure did Senator Claire McCaskill, Attorney General uh, Chris Coster, who's running for governor, and current governor, Jay Nixon, wheeled behind the scenes in all this? Respectfully, none. I mean, I, I, even if all three of them had weighed in that they think I should do X or Y, I'm going to do what I think is best regardless. But so did no they more than at least call else. you or talk to you? You know, I, I'm not going to go into conversations that I've had with anybody about this other than to say that, um, you know, we felt very good about how things looked uh, and how things were going. We had raised uh, nearly a half million dollars. We had uh, built a statewide network of support. But at the end of the day, the more, the more important thing is for me to go where I'm going to be the most impactful. And, um, you know, we had other Democrats in the attorney general primary before I exited, and we have other Democrats that have joined since. Uh, and I felt that in order to make the biggest difference for, for my community in our state, the right thing to do is to return to the That state. was going to be my next question. Um, at, hours after you announced you weren't going to run for attorney general, former Cass County prosecutor Teresa Hensley announced that she was jumping into the race. And, um, you know, it was interesting because I think for Joe and I, when we saw that you were bowing out, our first thought was, wow, the Democrats have just avoided a, a primary that's potentially contentious. Who knows? Maybe they will eventually as well. But it basically was from one primary to another. And you, according to her press release, have endorsed Teresa Hensley. Is that correct, first of all? Yeah, we made our announcement, uh, and she uh, indicated to me that she was uh, planning to run, wanted to know if I would endorse and provide a quote, and I told her I would be pleased to do so. I uh, really hoped that she would get into the race, and I'm delighted that she did. I think she's the right candidate uh, to represent the Democratic Party in the Missouri Attorney General's race in 2016, mainly because of her prosecutorial experience. Yeah, but why her and not St. Louis County Assessor Jake Zimmerman? Teresa Hensley's uh, been a prosecutor for the last 10 years. I think it's very important to have somebody in that office with the degree of, of criminal law experience that she has, and that's not just vis-a-vis -vis other Democratic candidates, that's vis-a-vis -vis the entire field. I mean, she has uh, something like 21 murder convictions that uh, were achieved in Cass County under her watch, and that's 21 more than I think just about anybody else running. Uh, it's possible there might be one of the Republican candidates that's had a hand in a couple uh, here uh, or there somewhere along the line uh, uh, with the AG's office. But Teresa Hensley has the most prosecutorial experience, and that's important. Now, the other major supporter of Hensley is 
Circuit Attorney Jennifer Joyce, who had been a big fan of yours and who had been one of your supporters. So, and she said pretty much the same thing that yep. you just said, which are, are are the two of you part of a larger group of people who, you know, is prosecutors? There, is there a Sifton yeah. Joyce conspiracy <laughs> afoot or something yeah. like that? Well, I'll make a disclosure in a moment. No, I, I did not know that Jennifer was going to endorse Teresa. I was honored, uh, really honored uh, that Jennifer had previously endorsed me. Um, th- absolutely no connection between the two of us other than the fact um, – uh, we actually uh, came of age as lawyers in the same department at completely different times. But back in the back in the 1990s, uh, Jennifer Joyce uh, served in the Peeper Martin Litigation uh, Division uh, here in St. Louis, along with Catherine Hannaway, incidentally. Yeah, as, as she mentioned on on our brilliant politically speaking podcast, by yes, the way. Yes, and uh, I came along uh, in 1999 uh, uh, after those two had departed. Uh, and and obviously long before Hannaway returned, but uh, uh, no. So that that's the only we have a mentor in common, uh, John Rasp, uh, uh, who for the, the long I think still uh, in fact uh, serves as editor in chief of the uh, of the uh, 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 Bamsel uh, Law Journal. So one of the things that I've heard from people who say that they can't support Jake Zimmerman in this Democratic primary is they just don't feel that he has the quote unquote experience necessary to be attorney general. I'm going to play a clip because we asked him that very question on a podcast, I think about a few months ago. Yes. Bear with us for a second. It's a little bit longer than usual, but it requires some explanation. So here's the clip right here. To, to Senator Schaefer's point, do you have kind of the, the trial experience that he purports to have? Well, I wonder if uh, if Kurt is running for attorney general or for Perry Mason. Uh, but let me tell you what I did in my practice of law. Maybe I'll, j- I'll just tell you one anecdote that will give you a little sense of what my actual legal work in the attorney general's office was about. Um, I prosecuted a case called, uh, we called it the Tech Geeks case internally. The Tech Geeks were a very sophisticated internet business. What they did was uh, they charged you $2,000 for a laptop. You sent them $2,000. They didn't send you a laptop. Uh, And I received this file after uh, an older attorney who had moved on in the office, didn't want to prosecute it, thought this was small potatoes, wasn't worth the office's attention, we're the attorney general's office, we're a big deal. And I looked at this and I said, this is a crime. Straight and simple, $2,000 may sound like small potatoes to the office. It wasn't small potatoes to the student who had the $2,000 stolen, who was using that money to buy a laptop because he wanted to finish his degree. He, he's trying to say that he has had experience working in the attorney general's office already, with that being an anecdote that he put forward. Is that not enough for, for Democrats to, to support him? Well, that's going to be for Democratic voters to decide in that primary. I'm not running in that primary, and I've made my feelings on the matter known, but I'm going to leave that to Democratic voters to decide. My focus is going to be on running for state senate. Now, the fact that you are now running for state senate re-election instead of AG, how might that affect the veto session when everybody gets together in a few weeks? As you know, the Republicans had their caucus a few days ago and have yet to get it really nailed on which issues they're going to bring up. But I'm hearing more and more that right to work is going to be brought up. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I I, uh, have to say that what issues are brought up and are not brought up um, respectfully are going to have a whole lot more to do with the merits of those issues and the majority strategy more broadly than, you know, what office I happen to be running for. Uh, but uh, well, I, my my point sure. is how that affects how you perform or what what the way you'll be approaching it. That's my point. I, I have to say the same way. I mean, 
what people need to understand is that session ended in a very extraordinary manner in May <laughs> yes. uh, with with uh, the, the nuclear option being exercised on the right to work bill, which is something that historically happened very rarely uh, in the Senate. But in the era of term limits, it seems as though every six to eight years we, we go through this. It's as if we have to relearn why we don't do these things. But uh, in response to that previous question uh, motion, I think it's fair to say that uh, the minority essentially shut down the Senate uh, ever after. And, um, uh, you know, the issues that were contentious at the end of regular session are still going to be uh, contested very hotly in veto session. Because one of the differences is um, Senate pro tem Tom Dempsey, who is a Republican from St. Charles, is opposed to right to work, but also had sort of a uh, conciliatory um, manner about himself and kind of dealing with the minorities and doing other things. He's not going to be there. It's probably going to be um, State Senator Ron Richard, who's now the majority leader, who is the hardliner. He's the one who did push for the nuclear option. He's going to be in charge in the Senate during the veto session and then, of course, next session. So how is that? Is, isn't that going to change like the whole climate? Well, Hard to say, uh, but let me take this opportunity to express uh, my gratitude for the opportunity to serve with Tom Dempsey for three years. I'm sorry that it wasn't four, but um, we, we certainly didn't always agree on the issues. But uh, I think everything you just said about Tom was true. He's somebody you can work with. Um, and and if, he, if, he, if he reaches an agreement with you, he will stick to that agreement with you and he will take arrows from his own side to, to, to hold up his end of the bargain. And... Um, you know, we need more of that in government, and it's unfortunate that we're losing Tom. Um, as far, although I certainly wish him the, the best and, and, and the best for his family, which I understand is his reasons. But by for, the way, for on Twitter, you said you wish to him his best in his future endeavors. You do realize that's a term in professional wrestling that's used often to wish <laughs> departing wrestlers their 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 best after they're fired, right? Well, uh, y you know, Jason, I probably have a lower professional wrestling quotient than you might anticipate. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I try to keep, I, you know, it's funny. I do talk about uh, the civility of politics and the civility of the Missouri Senate. Sometimes I think people do ex expect us to approach these things like professional wrestlers yeah. would, and we usually do much better uh, than I that didn't mean to get Senate. too far afield, but to continue <laughs> answering Joe's question. Sure. We'll see. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen uh, with, with the pro tem. Uh, I, I don't know how that will impact veto session. I do know that senators are talking uh, about what things are going to look like, and they're talking on both sides of the aisle. Uh, how that's going to shake out remains to be seen. I, I will say that I think it's important for the for the constituents of the first district starting in 2017 to have somebody in that seat um, with the experience of operating in the Senate to be able to leverage the, the views and interests of that community as effectively as possible. I have one more attorney general question, then I promise we'll move on to, sure. to other stuff because I know you're just dying to answer more attorney general questions. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that could be thrown at former Cass County Prosecutor Teresa Hensley as a negative is the fact that she lost re-election in 2014 and she also lost pretty decisively to U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler in 2012. I actually asked Teresa Hensley herself about this. This is what she had to say. I did run in 2012 in uh, almost 24 counties in uh, the 4th District, which included Columbia. And so while it's not a statewide race, certainly running in 24 counties um, is pretty exhausting and takes a lot of work and effort and, and raising money. So I do think that I am uh, able and ready and I will work hard. I'll work as hard as I did in 2012 
So that's her perspective. You heard the the uh, devil's advocate perspective. How do you think she'll fare based on her past electoral experience? Uh, I think it will help her greatly. And let me tell you my own experience. Uh, and Joe may even remember this. In fact, I think yes. I knocked on your door <laughs> when I ran for state house in Webster Groves in 2002 and was, as we, as we say in the business, I was a silver medalist that year. Uh, Kathleen, but, Kathleen, Kathleen Ferris, yes, the correct. only person ever beat you, I guess. And we, we, we work together just fine. She does a lot of work for the arts in Jefferson City still, and it's always a pleasure to have her drop by and visit. But that said, I am convinced that in 2012, between the primary and the general, I probably would not have been able to win both, but for my experience having run unsuccessfully in 2002. And, and, and I'm, 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 could not What'd be more sincere What you learn from that? Yeah. I mean, is there anything particular? Uh, y yeah. Um, you've got to, I mean, you have got to run as hard as you can, as hard as you can every day. There is no such thing as an unimportant vote. Um, the more you do this, the more you sort of refine your approach. Um, and uh, most importantly, I just learned, learned that community, got to know, got to know what was happening in Webster Groves, got a much better sense for the political and sort of cultural fabric of, of that particular community. And, and, and it's one that's tremendously important, both in the first Senate district and just, just in general in the region. Um, and, and so with respect to Teresa, you know, I, there are two schools of thought. There are some people who go through life as if they're afraid to lose a race ever. And there are others who take the plunge and know that you can't control everything that happens, but they're going to give it everything they've got. Uh, and they'd rather lose trying to do something impactful than win uh, not, not doing something as meaningful. And I see, I, I see in Teresa not somebody who's had a loss or two, but somebody who's won a couple races in a pretty tough territory in Cass County. And that's really important. If you can win in Cass County statewide, uh, and she's done it a couple times, I, I think that that's a big boost, and I think that it will help her. Okay. Next. Well, one other quick thing, though. Okay. How active will you be uh, in trying to get – I mean, the Democratic Party right now it has a lot of people not running for stuff. They don't have a candidate for lieutenant governor. They don't have a candidate for state treasurer. They don't have a candidate for secretary of state. There's been all this haggling about attorney general. But actually, let's be fair well, yeah. here. Well, a major candidate. There are major there candidates. are two candidates for lieutenant governor, one candidate for treasurer, and a recently announced candidate yes, for secretary of state. Yes, they are not major candidates. I just want to make that clear because I do not want Brad Bradshaw calling me tomorrow. Let me let me say this as somebody who has been out traveling the state for several months now, uh, post session. Um, I see Brad Bradshaw and I see his campaign in a lot of places that I don't see some other folks that are air quotes okay. major candidates okay. for statewide. Okay. Good I see point. I see Pat Contreras everywhere. Uh, I see Pat Contreras all the time. In fact, probably not a week goes by that Pat and I weren't running into each other in one place of the state or another. So from that standpoint, um, I would say that we've certainly got some folks out there working very hard on the field. And I'll tell you, too, our other lieutenant governor candidate, Tommy Pearson, just called me the other day. So Tommy's working hard, too. Uh, so I, I, you know, and we'll see. The Secretary of State announcement did just happen over the weekend. So that's that's Yeah, with Robin Smith, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited about that, too. So I think it's just kind of interesting looking at how everything has changed. In fact, when your announcement that you were changing races happened on Thursday, it looked like it might be the big political news of the week, but then it got all this other stuff that happened right after that over the next few days. Well, as I mentioned on the outside. So quick quick question about veto session. This has been, okay, since uh, all this happened, since Dempsey uh, is now going to be out, there are some Republicans 
who contend that the state Senate will be able to override the governor's veto of right to work with only 22 votes instead of the 23 that normally the Senate has to have for an override. And um, actually, Senator Schaefer and I had a very respectful exchange over Twitter over that because he contends that they only need 22. I'm interested in your take on that. Just, I mean, as a lawyer and as a member of the Senate, can't, I mean, do vacancies affect numbers? I don't think they ever have in the House, but it seems like there may be a push to claim that it does affect what's going on in the Senate. It's a legal question that if we find ourselves there can only be decided most likely by the Missouri Supreme Court. I have not looked at that issue under the microscope. I would hope that we don't have 23 votes. I would hope that we don't have 22 votes. Uh, won't bother for me. It you know, won't bother me in the least if it doesn't come out of the House. That's true. We have to get out of the House first. Yes. Do you have any any take on whether the governor should call special elections, not only in Senator Dempsey's soon-to-be vacant seat, but also in your colleague Senator Lavota's seat in Kansas City? You know, that's the governor's prerogative. I don't know what he's going to do. We're close enough in time because I think Dempsey's resignation is effective. Uh, I was August told by 7th, the governor's August office 7th. it is too late to do a November 3rd and election. That may, yeah, I, I was going to say that may very well be. I know Lavota's resignation isn't effective for a couple more weeks. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if there will be time to do it for the November uh, election, but that r really is the, the governor's call. Do you have any concern in the Lavota situation that he actually will have a say in the nomination process for the Democratic nominee given the circumstances of his resignation? Well, be, explain why. The reason why. Um, the, what I'm talking about is uh, Senator Lavota is a committee man in Jackson, Jackson County, and I did a little bit of research in the Blue Book and put in a call or two to the Jackson County Democratic Party, and he will receive four votes out of 92 to pick his potential Democratic successor, along with his daughter, who also has four votes, and several members of his family. Now, it is not unprecedented for people who are resigning to be in that committee process, but again given the circumstances of his resignation. Yeah, he was, you, he was accused of sexual harassment. Do you think that maybe he should step aside in possibly choosing his nominee? I, I think that's something he should seriously consider. Um, you know, I want to take the opportunity to talk about, um, you know, what all what all has happened uh, between Lavota and Deal, and, and who knows if there are others that are going to be coming out of the woodwork. Um, you know, we need to change the culture in Jefferson City in a lot of different respects, not just in terms of lobbyist gifts, not not just in terms of unlimited campaign cash, but the culture of sexual harassment of interns. And, I, you know, remain, remains to be seen uh, if these are a couple of isolated incidents or if this is something that's happening in every office. I can I can tell you this and I will assure my constituents it's not happening in my office. Uh, these young men and women who come to the Capitol, some of whom are there full time all day, every day. Um, not only get a great experience out of it in most instances, although um, we know of at least one or two that, 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 that haven't, um, but they, I don't think people realize how much value they actually deliver to the process as well. We are, you know, we run pretty thin staffs uh, in the legislature, House and Senate both, and, and these folks are given real responsibility. And, and, and frequently for me, you know, uh, 8.30 a.m. on Thursdays, I have uh, last year three places to be, this past year two places to be. I can't be in two rooms at once. Mm -hmm. And and it gives us the ability to, to just to stay on top of everything and make sure that we make all the votes that we need to make. Um, and in the case of my office this past year, uh, my uh, my policy director actually had, um, uh, had a malady that uh, – sort of handicapped her uh, down the home stretch at the end of session, and our Truman State intern 
picked up that, uh, you know, sort of stepped into the breach and uh, was picking up a lot of responsibilities that would ordinarily have been hers. Mm -hmm. And we need to encourage people to come to Jefferson City to do those things for what they get out of it, for what we get out of it, for what the public gets out of it. And this culture of sexual harassment uh, is absolutely toxic. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things that uh, the one of the things that I have noticed that I want to ask you about, because you have been somebody who's been opposed to taking lobbyist gifts and has been in favor of campaign contribution limits. But I've kind of been seeing the reaction to this and people bringing those things up. And I'm wondering if there's an implication here that those things are causing the behavior or contributing to the behavior as opposed to people making really bad decisions and making frankly, sexist and sexually harassing decisions. I would say that there are several things that are wrong with the culture in Jefferson City. I don't know that there's any interplay between campaign finance on, on one hand and uh, harassment of interns on the other. Uh, but I, I do know that both of them need to change. Now, how aware were you? And I'm not necessarily talking the specific cases involving sure. now former Speaker John Deal and Lavota, but as a senator, I mean, was there talk that some general stuff was going on or is there stuff that you'd witnessed just in just in general? I mean, Senator Claire McCaskill said publicly, I interviewed her a week ago, that some of the stuff was going on when she was an intern 41 years ago. So I mean, I'm just interested kind of your take on what you saw or what you heard just in general. You know, I, I haven't observed any of the conduct in question. I, uh, um, you know, I pretty much serving 182,000 people in that building uh, all day every day is enough to keep me fully occupied. Uh, so, I mean, I, I can't say that I've had any eyewitness uh, experience uh, at all. Uh, you, you know, you hear things from time to time, but, um, you know, for the most part, I'm, uh, I'm keeping myself fully occupied just doing my job. You know, one of the things that Senator Lamping said on our show, I think about a year ago, is that there are certain types of people that run for office in Missouri politics, people who are very young, people that are retired, people who are extraordinarily ambitious. I guess you might be slightly ambitious. I'm not sure if I put you in that category. But it seems like of all those three types of people, they all are predisposed to certain character flaws even before they get to the Capitol building. Could that be part of the problem, that just the people that we're electing are just predisposed with character flaws? Uh, you know, look, um, <laughs> um, I think that for the most part, the people that I work with in the Capitol, Democrat and Republican, urban, suburban, exurban, and rural are all there because they want to make a difference for the community that they serve. And they are all there because they want to make an impact and try to help make things better. Um, look, nobody's perfect, but but at the end of the day, um, who, who comes to Jefferson City isn't up to them. It's up to the voters. And I think that that's the way the process is meant to be. Yeah. And what should be done about this entire issue? I mean, I've just spent a couple questions asking why, but I think most people who've been following this want to know what next and what's going to be done to change this. I, there's a committee that's been formed that is looking into the issue. I'll be very curious. I'm not on the committee, but I'm very curious to see what the recommendations are going to be. I think that we need to make a very strong statement um, and um, really ratchet down on on uh, not just interns, but just what goes on in that building in general, because the people of Missouri deserve better. Now, one of the things that a lot of people have told me 
um, is that the big difference, I mean, as I said, McCaskill mentioned this happened 41 years ago. That was before term limits. That was when people were in the offices sometimes for decades and this was going on. So it was also when the Democrats were in charge. Correct. As well. cor correct. So it's it's not necessarily partisan and it's not necessarily young versus old. But I've had a lot of people tell me the one difference is social media, that neither of the current cases, the Lavota case or the deal case, the contention I've heard from many people is that those might not have come to light if it wasn't for social media, somebody taking screenshots of text messages, those types of things that you wouldn't even have heard of 12, 15 years ago, uh, much less 40 years ago. I'm just interested in how social media just in general has affected what goes on in the state capitol and the fact and um, uh, elevating or publicizing certain misdeeds. Well, I'm uh, I am no social media maven. In fact, I think the first time I came on the show, I didn't even know my own Twitter handle. If you if you recall correctly, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> that that said, to the extent that social media has provided greater accountability. Um, and better documentation. I think that's fantastic. I think that accountability is important. Uh, one last question, I guess, before we, we head off into the sunset. Um, as of now, when you're running for re-election, you'll be running. The only other Republican candidate that's announced is State Representative Marsha Hafner of Oakville, who I've gotten the sense you've had a pretty good relationship over the years. You've worked together on some issues, um, both school and in the county. What's it going to be like running against her in as, some, as a district that you've said is going to be a very competitive and very close district. Well, I'm going to focus on what we've gotten done for the first Senate district. I've only served for three years in the Senate, but we've gotten some good things done. I've, I've, I've been able to get a number of things to the governor's desk each year that I've been there. Uh, this year, we got uh, some uh, anti-SIDS legislation through uh, to require daycares to adopt safe sleep practices. We've gotten uh, uh, age restrictions on tanning beds with parental notification in, in a past year. I've been able to expand tax credits for food pantries um, and a number of other pieces of legislation. This year I had uh, three different provisions in the transfer bill that was unfortunately uh, vetoed, but uh, uh, better, uh, better detecting dyslexia at an earlier stage in, in children's education, teacher home visits, uh, an adjustment to make sure that Webster Groves is treated fairly in school accreditation, and that's just the start. We've been getting a lot of things done in the first Senate district. Uh, there are some major priorities that I think are going to remain uh, when we get back in 2017. Uh, the school transfer bill uh, still needs to get done. Um, we, we, it hasn't. It's been vetoed without an override to the last two years. I'm told it may not get tried again next year. We're going to have to. We're going to have to get something done in 17 if it's not going to be 16. And we may have a new governor, and that may make a difference. Um, Medicaid expansion, I suspect, is still going to remain to be done when we get back in 2017. Ethics reform, I suspect, uh, we're going to try hard in 16, but I suspect that, uh, that there may still be work to be done on that front. So uh, we're going to focus on the issues and and what people in the first Senate district want to see done. I think that's all we need to say for now. Uh, thank you very much for coming back on our show. Possibly you'll get a, a fourth time next year. Uh, thank you again. And for all of our stories, you can find on sdlpublicradio.org. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can find Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And, and I'm pretty sure that nascent wrestling fan Scott Sifton knows his Twitter <laughs> account right now. At Scott Sifton, and that's thanks to you, Jason. We'll be back next week. Until now, so long. You know I got you.